Hello, my name is Vincent, and I have a confession to make. I hate running. Now, this might not be news to a lot of you, especially those of you who know me well. And last time I was here, I shared about having started a virtual Lord of the Rings marathon. I'm pleased to inform you that as of today, I'm about halfway through the first leg of five legs. I've run 76.7 miles, but I still have 68.3 miles to go before I even get my first medal in the mail. And yes, those 0.7 miles make all the difference at this point. But if there's one thing I've realized from this journey, it's that I really don't like running. The irony is that I knew this already going into it, but I thought maybe a Lord of the Rings marathon would make me like it. It doesn't. I just really, really want that medal. I want all five of them, in fact. Here's a dino comic that I stumbled upon that reflects my feelings on the matter. The first dinosaur says to his friend, Ugh, I hate running. His friend says, But it's so good for you. And then the first dinosaur replies, Great, so I'll live longer and have to do more running. Anyway, I will finish the marathon but I'll be walking for the remainder of the duration. Frodo and Sam didn't run to Mordor, they walked. So if that's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And plus the whole point is to just get out there and fun, right? Anyway, but none of that has anything to do with what I'm gonna share today. I just wanted to update you with a little bit about my personal life. We've spent the last few months in a series called A Time to Choose. PT spent the series looking at the New Testament and different people's interactions with Jesus. I'd like us to look at something from the Old Testament today. I'll read the passage once through, and then we'll go over it again and look at it more thoroughly the second time. Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 to 14 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. 
You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. Now, I've often heard the story told in chapter 16 from the lens of Abram and how he and Sarai made a mistake in taking things into their own hands and not trusting in God's promise. But I don't think I've ever sat enough with the consequences of their actions. And I don't think I've ever really sat with the person of Hagar enough. And so I'd like us to do that today. I'd like us to walk through the passage again, this time taking stops, and to examine it through the lens of Hagar. Verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now, going back, God had promised Abram descendants as many as there are stars in the heavens. But so far, nothing had come of that vow. We're 10 years in since that original covenant, and nothing has happened from what they can tell. I don't know about you, but there are some prayers that I've been praying for 10 years that still yet haven't come to pass. And so what do we do when our faithful and diligent prayers are met with the seeming silence of God, or even a no? Do we still trust and hope and wait? Or do we take matters into our own hands? Abram and Sarai did the latter. Let's see what happens in the verses that follow. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. We'll stop there for a bit. In the time of Abram and Sarai, it was believed that if a woman did not have children, God was punishing them. Their worth was inextricably tied to their ability to continue the family name. Husbands actually had the right to divorce their wives because of this. But the patriarchy did provide certain coverings and legal provisions to relieve the burden and to bring hope into a situation like this. For example, the law allowed for handmaidens to be given to their mistress's husband for the purpose of reproduction. And so in this instance, that's exactly what Sarai did. And if Sarai allowed Hagar to lay with Abram and Hagar conceived, the child would then be Sarai's and the legal heir of Abram. So who was this Hagar? Well, we don't know much about her. We know that she was from Egypt, but how she came to be Sarai's handmaiden is not fully known. A leading theory is that when Abram and Sarai went to Egypt during the time of the famine, which you can read about in Genesis 12, they met Hagar there, and she joined them as part of the household slaves, servants, and handmaidens, and everything else that they gathered from that land of Egypt when they left to go back. Some even think that Hagar was the daughter of King Pharaoh of Egypt. And when she saw the miracle that God performed for Sarai, she said, it is better to be a slave in Sarai's house than a princess in my own. Now, we obviously can't know that for sure, but I think it's a cool theory nonetheless and makes for an awesome narrative. That's probably how they would do the film adaptation. Back to the scriptures. 
Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. So here we go. Abram and Sarai take their fate into their own hands rather than trusting God's timing. And it's basically the whole story of the Bible in a nutshell. Humans do stupid things and God in his infinite love rescues us. There's a lot to take in in just this small section of verses. Their plan worked. Hagar is now a wife of Abram or a concubine. She's also now pregnant with Abram and Sarai's child. But then Hagar's attitude changes towards Sarai. Now she begins to despise her. We aren't told why or how this played out specifically, but it's yet another indication, if I may say, as to why polygamous relationships do not work out for the favor of those involved. The Bible is littered with examples of these. And then the blame game starts. Sarai blames Abram and says he must take control of Hagar and fix it. But Abram washes his hands of the situation saying this was your idea and says she could do with Hagar as she sees fit. And then Hagar flees. She runs away. And it's funny because however bad Hagar was treating Sarai, it was bad enough for Sarai to be mistreating the surrogate of her own legal unborn child. And whatever it was that Sarai and Abram were doing to Hagar, it was bad enough for her to leave the providence of the clan that she was in and run away with little to no hope of survival. It was quite a mess. Things that got drastic. But there's a nuance in these verses that I don't want us to miss. Hagar is never called by her name, by Abram and Sarah. She's always referred to as slave girl or servant or handmaiden, depending on what translation you read. And this is a big deal. Even though Hagar is Abram's concubine, both he and Sarai fail to see Hagar as a whole person. She's merely an object to be used as a surrogate for the child Sarah is unable to conceive. But then, amidst this crazy and messed up dynamic, God shows up and does something surprising. Back to the scriptures. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. She, who in a way has no name, is met by an angel of God who calls her by her name. She's not alone in the wilderness. She's not alone in her pain. God sees her. God calls to her. God knows her name and he reaches out to her. I love the question she's asked. Where have you come from and where are you going? Anytime God asks a question, we know he already knows the answer. 
We know that he knows she's running from Sarai and Abram, but he asks anyway. He enters into her pain. He meets her there where she is. The question is more for Hagar than it is for himself. It allows her to be known, to be seen. And the second part of the question, where are you going? When she answers the questions of the angel of the Lord, she doesn't answer this one. She only says where she's coming from. And I suspect she doesn't say where she's going because she doesn't know. She's given up hope. Anywhere but where I've come from, anywhere but here, dying in the desert is a better option than returning to the pain of my life. Another thing to note here that's very interesting is that this question, if we press into it, is not just about Hagar's physical past and material future. Where have you come from is not just about the land of Canaan. It's also what has the pain in your life been like? What has been your experience? How have you been treated before? And where are you going? It's not just about the physical geographical path ahead, but a spiritual inquiry as well. Will there be more pain ahead? Will you find the comfort and healing you are seeking in this direction? Will you let me restore it? God is hinting at the covenant he is about to promise her in the following verses. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Hagar is told to go back to Abram and Sarai. Great. Not what she was hoping to hear, I bet. But things will be different, she's told. She's given a covenant, a promise of God. She will give birth to a son and his name will be Ishmael, which means God will hear. She will in fact have numerous offspring and they will be a great people among the earth. And the specifics of Ishmael's birth and his character that will develop in his life are a bit weird for us to read in modern times. A wild donkey of a man. But to Hagar, they are words of life. Her son will not be outcast and abused like she has been. He will be strong. He will lead. Yes, he will face adversity, but he will be strong and he will be wild. He will bow to no one. Interesting to note here is that this is actually the first appearance of the angel of the Lord in the Bible. He didn't first appear to Noah or Enoch or Abram. The angel of the Lord first appeared to a single mother who was mistreated by the family that got her into this situation. Hagar not a man or a husband or a patriarch receives a covenant blessing. And she is one of four people to hear the covenant directly from God. God sees the unseen. Verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Dered. 
In verse 13, Hagar does something incredibly rare. She gives God a name. She is the only person in Bible history to do this. And that's because in all of her pain, in all of her suffering, in all of her hopelessness, God sees her. God hears her and God calls out to her, offering hope, healing and life. She names the well in the desert, Beer Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. Can we also see that it was in the desert that the angel of the Lord met Hagar? In verse 13, it says that the Lord found Hagar near a spring of water in the wilderness, which is written in Hebrew as Midbar. And the word Midbar comes from the root word Dabar, which means to speak. God speaks in the desert places. When she was at her lowest point, God showed up. And this has been my experience too. Sometimes we can only hear God when we're in the desert places. Either our pride or our shame or our self-sufficiency get in the way. And it's only at that moment when all seems lost, when we fall face down in the desert, not sure of where we're going anymore, that's when we can finally hear God, who we come to find out has been speaking to us all along. I want to close by pointing out Hagar's reaction to the angel of the Lord. And this is where it ties into our Time to Choose series. Hagar could have rejected the comfort and the promise of the Lord. She could have responded out of bitterness and said, you know what, God? You could have rescued me before I was forced to marry Abram and bear his child. You know what? You could have rescued me long before I was even a slave girl. I don't deserve this pain and suffering and injustice that I've been given. Where have you been? Why should I believe your promise now? No thanks. I wouldn't have judged her if that was her response. I've been in similar places myself. I have found it difficult to trust God because he's been silent on my decades long prayers or the prayers of healing in agreement with thousands of other people were answered with a no. But Hagar doesn't do this. She chooses to trust in the God who sees her. And we must do the same or else our future will have nothing in the same way hers had nothing until this moment of surrender. So where have you come from? Have you come from a place of being mistreated, abused, taken for granted, a place where you have no name? Have you come from a mess that you've made, carrying shame so heavy that it bores you into the ground of each passing step you take? Have you come from the void, hopelessness, despair, injustice, pain, addiction, loneliness, fear, doubt? And where are you going? Are you headed into the arms of a stranger, hoping to find warmth and comfort that only ends up making you feel more lonely in the end? Are you building a wall around your heart so no one can get in to hurt you again, even if it means you'll never feel anything ever again? Are you headed to anger that will never die, slowly stewing into poisonous bitterness, or a despair that will leave you dying in the desert? Wherever you are, wherever you've come from, and wherever you're going, God sees you, and he is calling out to you. He has time for your healing, if only you would let him in. Allow me to pray 
before we move on to this closing song and final benediction from Pastor Terry. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who sees us. I thank you that no matter where we are in our lives, where we have come from in our past, where we are right now in this moment and where we are wanting to go, that you see us and you are with us. You know our pain. You cry tears with us. You know every hair on our head, every scar on our body and every wound in our heart. And Lord, so I pray that we may feel a sense of your presence, a sense of your promise in our lives, that we can begin to open up our hearts to you, that you can lead us out of the desert, out of the place of pain and into the place of your wholeness and your fullness and your healing. Lord, I pray for everyone who feels unseen, that you show them how much you love them, how much you see them. I pray for everyone in pain, that you just smother them with your comfort, Lord, that they may feel your presence and the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, we give you all of our hurts. We give you all of our heart. May you begin to show us the way. Help us to see you as the God who sees us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for spending time with me today and for allowing me to spend some with you. Here we go with a final song and a final word of blessing.
that Jesus runs after the broken ones. Uh, just a, 
A quick programming note, give you a little sense of where we're going in the coming weeks before I close this in prayer. We're going to be starting a new series. I'm actually going to kick it off for the first three weeks that are designed to carry us through into the holidays. We're calling this series Seasons of Stress. And what we're going to be talking about is how we can, in light of some of the the tension and the energy and the activity, and sometimes even the loneliness that surrounds the holidays, how we can cultivate a heart of peace. So, like I said, really looking forward to jumping into that next Sunday as we share the beginning of our Seasons of Stress series. But let me go ahead and pray and close this out with a blessing. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the time that we've shared. I thank you for the love that you give us. I thank you for the care and concern that you so beautifully demonstrate all through our lives. I thank you for reminding us of how much we are loved and how you never forget us. You said you would never leave us nor forsake us, that lo, you are with us always, even unto the end of the age. And I thank you how even in our broken places, when we are struggling with the hurts of life, that you find us, meet us, and help us. How grateful we are for that. So I pray, Lord, that you would be near to us for the rest of this day, into the coming week, and the days that are ahead. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.